Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to you men out there, to my father-in-law, Ray Ray, to, to dad, you, Big D. Hey, I'm wishing you both happy Father's Day. I'm grateful for you both more than I can express. Happy Father's Day. And to, to all you other fathers out there, I know we have plenty in the fellowship. Hey, I just want to tell you, this is the best piece of fatherly advice that I've ever received. And it's this, keep showing up. For real, no matter the season, no matter the age of your kids, keep showing up, be filled with the Spirit and keep showing up. I promise you this, your presence, your very presence in your kids' lives is more impactful than you'll ever know. So keep showing up. And I just want to touch on one more thing. I want to say welcome to you at the Thrive Church simulcast. Praise God for those. I just want to give a shout out. We are we're in such a unique season. We're, we're seeing things change so much. We just had a governor's mandate and we're waiting on county health services, maybe giving us some different restrictions than we've been experiencing and we're currently operating under. We've tried our very best to be compliant to what these health orders are. And so I just want you to be aware we could be seeing some more changes come and let's just cherish the day. Today is the day that, that God has given and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. But I just keep your eyes and your ears out and we'll keep you posted if things change as, re, as a result of, of just new, new potential restrictions coming back. But we're just praising the Lord and we're keeping eyes fixed upon him. So Exodus chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Back in the book of Exodus this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them up. If you need to get up and go get one off the shelf, go get one. I want you to see for yourselves what's in the text, Exodus 16. But pray with me as we enter into our time of of Bible study this morning. Father, we come to you first. And what we say is we say happy Father's Day, Abba. Happy Father's Day, Father God. We're so grateful for you and the example that you are in the leading and the shepherding and the gift giving and the discipline and the correction, all that you do as a perfect father. We thank you for it. God, we need you more than our next breath. We, we need you more than we can even fathom that we need you. And we're so grateful for your constant abiding. I love that example of, of, of what you were willing to do in the, in the story of the lost son. God, how you ran and you embraced and you threw your, your cloak upon him. God, it's just, it's amazing. That's what you do for us. And so we rejoice over this day. And we want to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of who you are. We, we pray today, God, not necessarily for more information, but for transformation. Show us in the text who you are. That's what we're studying this series all about. Who are you, God? Show us, reveal to us who you are through your word as you constantly and faithfully do. So anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Anoint the ears of the precious people tuning in. Father, we want to know you, we want to see you, we want to hear from you, and we trust that we will as we open your word. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to open up this morning, and I I just want to throw out just some honest truth. All right, kids, if you haven't yet filled out that Father's Day card, I'm not saying you put this in the Father's Day card. Husbands, if you if you have a wedding anniversary coming up or you want to write something special to your wife, listen, I'm not saying this is what you put in the card either. But I'm telling you, this is just the truth of who we are, what we are, what God tells us. Are you ready for it? Our first reference verse comes from Genesis 2, verse 7, and it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now said in much simpler terms, what God just told us is you and I, friends, we are dust. Did you catch that? We are dust. We are that thing that we wipe up on the pieces of furniture in our house before we have people over because we don't want them to see dust. And I tell you, shocker alert, if they see you, they see dust, right? Our physical bodies, what we are made of, God formed us from the dust. Maybe another example, we are that thing that flies off when you clap your shoes together and particles go in the air. That's us. That's our physical bodies. That is what God has formed us from before he breathed life into us. But I point this out, right? Shocker alert, you are dust. I point this out because what is most special about us 
is not what is on the outside. It's not what is visible. It is so backwards in this world. We spend so much time taking care of the cosmetic us, the outside us, when that is not the most important thing about us. It is not what we look like on the outside. It is not the color of our skin. It is who we are on the inside. It is who sits on the throne of our hearts. Who gets to sit on the seat of our very soul? And as Christians, that's exactly where God sits. When we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus and we are born again, the Bible teaches us, Paul teaches us in his letter to the church of Ephesus, he teaches us that we who were once dead, he made us alive in Christ. And he's given us his spirit Who can know the thoughts of God? Only the Spirit of God. And that is what we have received, the Spirit of the living God dwelling where? Inside of these dusty bodies, these temples that he has made his dwelling place. Whenever you hear that phrase, he's able to make beauty out of the dust, that comes from the very example of what he's done in you and I as Christians, making something beautiful out of the dust. He dwells with us. But that's the most important part about us is what's on the inside. But I want to tell you, as he comes and dwells inside of us and we are being changed from the inside out and we have a new perspective and we can understand who the Lord is and we get illumination on what the word of God says. Listen, what we are on the outside That has still not changed. That has not changed yet. It will change. Who we are is not what we will become, but we are still in this place where we have this body. We have this body of dust that is perishing day by day. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. One more reference verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says this way. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Look at what Paul says. He says, hey, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart about what? About the fact that these bodies of dust are perishing day by day. About the fact that we're aging and we're wearing down and things are breaking down and slowing down and it's getting harder once you get down to get back up, right? All of those things happen as this body of dust withers and fades and perishes away. From dust we came, from dust these bodies will return. But once we get to be absent from the body, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. But I point this out. He says, don't lose heart, because you need to understand what is happening on the outside is the opposite of what is happening on the inside. As the outer man perishes, the inner man, who we've been born again to be, it is being renewed day by day which means we're growing more dependent upon Jesus. We're growing in wisdom and revelation of who he is. We're growing in the depths of his love, understanding it and demonstrating it. All of those things are happening and should be happening, and that's exactly what we want, which means our focus is not on the external, temporary, visible things. Our focus should be on the internal, eternal, forever things, the things that can't necessarily be seen by physical eyes, but discerned through spiritual eyes, discerned through hearts of faith, eyes of understanding that have been opened because we've placed our faith and hope in Jesus. Now, someone right now is wondering and scratching their head, maybe even elbowing their neighbor, saying, wait, I thought we were studying the book of Exodus. What does any of this have to do with Exodus chapter 16? Well, I'm so glad you you elbowed softly your neighbor and you asked that question because this has everything to do with Exodus chapter 16. Because, you know, the one who knows who we are, what we are, how we've been formed, you, you know the one who understands our construction the most? The one who made us. The Lord God, our creator, who at one point stooped down to form our bodies out of the dust. He understands and he knows what we need. Two weeks ago, when we read the first 12 verses of chapter 16, we learned that God knows what his people need. 
God is able to provide for their needs. And we saw that initially was in the form of bread, bread from heaven, quail that he brought into the evening because they started complaining and that was not the right way to handle that situation. But God does hear and God did respond. But what we're going to see this morning is God still knows what his people need. And it's not just food and water and shelter and purpose, the relationship with him. God also knows his people need rest. Since the outer man is perishing, since we are in these bodies that are not eternal, he knows we need rest. And that's what is going to be unfolded for us here in, in the second half of Exodus chapter 16. Listen, contrary to what you think you can do, run 24-7, run 365, burn the candle at both ends, burn the midnight oil, I am telling you, you will burn out. You will crash and burn. We cannot do that. We're not strong enough. And what I'm going to tell you is don't just take my word for it. Let's dig into our Bibles and see what God's word has to say about it. So picking back up where we left off two weeks ago, Exodus chapter 16, verse 13 says, so it was that quail came up in the evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take it for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need, and Moses said, let no one leave any of it until morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man, according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So remember what's going on here. This is just setting up what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. But remember what God is doing here. He's providing for his people their daily bread. And he's providing for it every single day. So they need to be daily dependent upon him. Right? That's what he's setting up here. You and I, we live in an independent Western society. But I want you to know from God's intended purpose, it is that we would be dependent upon him. Not living such independent lives, but daily dependent upon him. Seeking him for what we need every single morning, every single evening. Understanding our dependency needs to be upon him. And that's what he's setting up here. So quail in the evening, manna bread in the morning, but bread that can be not kept until the next day because it will stink. And we see a couple people People try that, maybe even test the Lord in that, and they bring it into their tents, and they think that I'm going to have leftovers for breakfast in the morning. God says, no, you're not, unless you want worms and that stinky thing, which I don't think anybody would want to eat. But I want you to think about that very, very practically, but think about how true that is for all of us right? I need to spend time with Jesus every single day. I need the daily bread, not just what I physically need to eat, but also every word that proceeds from the mouth of my God. And listen, when I don't, I stink. My wife can tell when I've been spending time with Jesus. My wife can tell when I walk in the door, the countenance that I'm portraying, that I've been with the Lord or I haven't. And I'm telling you, if I haven't, I start to stink. And each day I miss spending time daily with the Lord. I stink a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And I want to tell you, I am no different than any of you. We are called to be dependent upon the Lord our God. Jesus tells us to pray that. Give us today our daily bread. And he tells us we do not live on on bread that, that is just created, this physical aspect, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. Which means, listen, if you stink, 
and we do sometimes. If circumstances around us stink, and we feel that they do sometimes, there is oftentimes a direct correlation between the time that I've been skipping in spending time with the Lord, daily dependent upon him and receiving the portion that he has for me. Please remember that is so true. Time with Jesus, fixing our eyes upon Jesus and the things of the world really do go strangely dim. They do. That's a promise, but that's also a testimony I and many others can give you. So I love this example of what is happening here, but that is what God is teaching his people. In the morning, you're gonna have, you're gonna have manna from heaven. Verse 14 says, the surface of the ground, there will be small, round, substance-like pieces of bread. They say as fine as frost. Now we're gonna be told later that it's white like coriander seed and the wafers tasted like honey. Now I don't know about you, but that sounds like some of my favorite breakfast food. I'm like, honey, honey sugar smacks, frosted flakes, fruity pebbles. I'm like, yes, Dave's killer bread. And with all the seeds, I'm like, yes, throw that in there. Nilla wafers, I'm like, sure, I love all that. Combine all that in there for breakfast. Yum, 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 yum. I want a bowl of that right now. I think that's, that's interesting that he does that, but, but I love that he tells us that it, it tastes like honey. And I think, wow, he, he's willing to do that. He's willing to give it taste. And I just want to throw a side note in there for you mamas who are thinking, I would never let my kids eat this for breakfast every single morning. I want you to know it tastes like that and it's completely nutritious. This is not God sending something that's going to rot the teeth of his people or cause sugar overload, diabetes, organ shutdown. That's, that's not the Lord our God. And remember, he's providing manna from heaven. This is from his hand. So it's good and it's completely nutritious. But I, I love that it tastes like honey. I think, why would God need to do that? He didn't need to do that, right? Give me bread that tastes like bread, right? I mean, I just, that's what I needed, right? But he, he knows he's created us with taste buds. And he's like, I actually also want it to taste good. That's remarkable to me. I don't think that you've spent a lot of time doing this. And I'll be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time doing this. But it's always amazing to me when I see cows, right? It's rare you see a cow with a head up. The cows are usually just eating grass, right? And you know what grass tastes like? Grass tastes like grass, God doesn't need grass to taste like honey to get the cows to eat the grass. It is like, just give me some grass, right? Some of you, you're like, I eat a lot of grass. And I'm like, well, you probably need some, some salt and pepper on that or some oil and vinegar on that or some different varieties of salad dressing on that to entice you to eat it. But cows just need grass, right? What about your dog, right? Your dog, I fed the same dog food to my dog for 14 years. And you know what? Every single time he drooled the same, his tail wagged the same. He was like, just put that kibble in the bowl. I can't wait to snarf it because that's cows and dogs. But God knows, knows us, and in his grace, I'm gonna make it taste like honey. I wanna make it sweet. In Psalm 78, it's called, he gave them angels food to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't picture any angels food not tasting anything less than completely delicious. Angels food he gave to his people to eat. The Jewish historian in the first century named Josephus, he wrote, this is the oral tradition. He says, manna was said to satisfy every craving that the people had for food. Think about that. They would just say, no, just give me some manna. That's all I want. I'd love, I'd love some manna. It's so perfectly satisfying. And while that's oral tradition, we're not told that in the Bible. Let me ask you, do you think that's plausible? I have no problem believing that. You want to know Why? Because God does completely satisfy. When God provides something, it is in its fullness. It's lacking nothing. And that's what he says. Those who gathered much had none left over. Those who gathered little had no lack. It perfectly satisfied. That's just a characteristic of our God. He perfectly satisfies. But they're, they're going to have this for the next 40 years until they eat produce from the land of Canaan. God's going to provide this manna from heaven six days a week. But I want you to see what God is also setting up here. In verse 15, look back at it. Catch this word given. Moses said to them at the end of verse 15, this is the bread which the Lord has given to you. And I want you to circle that word given. God is giving them this bread. He is gifting them this food, this manna from heaven. And then go down to verse 16. He says, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. I want you to circle that word commanded. I want you to see that's how God works. He gives according to his abundant mercy, according to his grace. He gives, he's a giver. 
But then on the same token, he gives commands as well and commands according to the abundance of his wisdom. So he's setting something up here. I'm giving you this and I'm commanding you to do this. And it's going to set up because what he wants is obedience. So he says, on that day, go out, gather as much as that you need for the day and for all those people in your tent. And we think, why would God have to tell us to do that? Because he knows how some of us work. He knows some of us are going to say, like, I'm going to gather as much manna as I can one day. I'm going to fill my whole tent with manna. And then I'm going to spend the next couple days binge watching Netflix while I snap on some, snack on some manna, right? That's how some of us, that's what we would do. And God says, that's not going to work that way. You need to do it my way. Do it the way I'm commanding you to do it. So notwithstanding, in verse 20, we still, some people fail to obey. They disobey the commands of the Lord. But I just want you to note that. We, we get caught up sometimes. Sometimes we think faith looks like this and obedience looks like this. But what I want you to do, Christian, is I want you to think of a railroad track. And I want you to think faith and obedience, they are the rails that complete the track. They're parallel things. I would even say it this way. Faith is exercised through obedience. The very act of obedience is an expression of our faith. And we say, well, how does that work? It works just like we see here. To obey God and to collect only what I need for the day is obeying him and it's acting in faith that he's going to provide for me again tomorrow. That's how it works. So God's teaching his people, depend upon me, obey me, and do it in faith, knowing I am going to provide for you tomorrow. But he's also setting something up. We're going to get to that now. So for six days a week, they have manna in the morning. But what happens on the seventh day? Verse 22 says, And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord had said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So church, check this out. Here's where we get to the teeth of our study this morning. The people here, they're going to develop a routine like people like we do, right? Wake up, gather manna, gather what you're only going to eat today. Make sure you don't keep anything over because it's going to stink. They're like, okay, we got it. And so for five straight days, they're like, oh, we've got this figured out. This is what we need to do. Thank you, Lord. Manna from heaven. But then it appears on the sixth day, there's this crazy overabundance of manna. And I don't know if that would look like waking up on a, on a, on a winter day and you're seeing a, a great accumulation of snow. You're like, look at how much snow there is now. Or maybe the wafers were bigger or maybe there was just more of them. Again, we're not told, but there's a crazy abundance. There's significantly more available to be gathered on this sixth day than there were the previous five days. And so the people are going to come to Moses and say, hey, what's going on here? And Moses says in verse 23, he says, this is what the Lord has said. Gather twice as much as you normally do today so you can rest on the seventh day so you can have a Sabbath rest. If you look down at verse 29, you're going to see again our word gives. For the Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
Now listen, this is a gift from the Lord. As important as this word Sabbath is, you can circle that word too, by the way, but as important as this word Sabbath is, and we're going to talk about it all throughout the Old Testament, we're going to talk about it more when we get to Exodus chapter 20. As important as this word is, this is the very first time it is used in our Bibles in the context of what God is giving his people right here. But I want to spend some time talking about this. Notice that this is God's command. I'm commanding you to take rest. I'm commanding you to take the seventh day and rest. And he commands us to gather twice as much, bake, boil, cook, prepare for the day of rest. He, he says, I want you to make, make banana bread. Make a bunch of banana bread so you can have it for the next day. Make, make banana cakes. Make manicotti. Because man, oh man, there's a whole lot of manna. Just make it and prepare it so you can have it the next day. Why? Because manana, no manna. Right? There's going to be no more manna on the seventh day. And so he's telling this is what I want you to do. But friends, this is really, really, really important. Please tune in for this part of the study. Don't miss this part. What is God doing? We've been asking this question, who is God? What is he doing? He's providing his people what they truly need. Even if they don't think they need it, he knows he's God. Is anyone going to say, um, God doesn't know better than I do, right? Nobody, I hopeful, hopefully nobody's that arrogant, right? God knows so much more than we know. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. He knows. And so when he says, I'm giving you rest, he knows what we need. But I want you to try to take a step back and try to comprehend how radical this notion is instituted by God himself. There were no days off in the ancient world. We have no historical evidence that any other culture before this ever took a day off. A day off would be a word that they have no definition for in the dictionary. Like a day off, what is that? When the people were in Egypt, they got no days off. Pharaoh was a burdensome taskmaster who didn't care a rip about the people. He worked them until they died. Their job was work, 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 work. That's exactly what Pharaoh did. And I want to ask you an honest question. How many of you live your lives that same way? How many of you function that that's my task, work until I die? I work every single day. I work hard every single day as if I am under a burdensome taskmaster just like Pharaoh. I want you to know, I want you to see right here in the text, God is not a burdensome taskmaster. God is not like Pharaoh. If that hasn't been clear to us already. Let it be clear once again. God is not like that. God is gifting them the day of rest that he knows they need. God is telling them, I want you to cease and desist on the seventh day. That is what Sabbath means, to stop doing what you normally do six other days of the week. But it's a gift, Think about this from some of the things that we know we need. We know God knows we need these things. We need love. And we're told God is love. We are loved more than we can fathom. We, we need redemption. We were slaves to sin. We were without hope and we were without Christ. And he knows he sent his son, our redeemer. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He rose again to set us free. He's our redeemer. We need friends. We need community. We're not meant to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And so not only do we have spouses, some of us, but we all have the church. We have the community of brothers and sisters. That's what we're called because we're not alone. We're members of a global body and also a local body. We have each other. We have the church. We have friends and community. We need a purpose. You're not going to thrive if you don't have a purpose. We have a purpose. It's called the Great Commission. It's called to go into all the world, preaching the gospel, to be witnesses for Jesus, to seek and save the lost. It's to come on mission with him, the Great Co-Mission. We need food, water, shelter. And we know from the Sermon on the Mount that, that Jesus provides for the birds of the air. He clothes the days of the field. And he says, how much more of value are you, human being, to the Father? If he provides for them, he will provide for you. And then listen, we need rest in line with all those other things that we need because God says so. It's true. We need rest. 
Who is God? God is our giver of rest. This whole idea came from the Lord. Yes, we're going to see human beings and man-made religion make a mess of the Sabbath. But if you let the context be clear in its original place here, this is what God wants to do. It's a gift to his people to be able to rest. When we get to the gospel accounts, when Jesus is is walking out his earthly ministry, we're going to see the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're going to make a mess of this thing called the Sabbath. And because they did, that turns us off a lot. We kind of like, I don't want to be like that. And listen, rightfully so, in many, many regards, we don't want to be like that. But what they were doing is they they were making this Sabbath day be a day where they get to practice all of their piety. They're making this day be a day that, that they, they feel I get to show God how holy and righteous I am by all the things I do and all the things I don't do. And it, it became so complicated. The one thing you couldn't do on the Sabbath was the one thing it was initially originated to do, which was rest. But Jesus corrects that fallacy in one statement like only Jesus can do. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus says this, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Did you catch that? Jesus is saying, this day was not made so you can turn it into some day of piety, some day where you work out all of your religiosity. It was, you weren't made to celebrate this day. The day was given to you as a day of rest. The day was given as a gift from God in context of Exodus chapter 16. Listen, just to take a break, to rest, to spend time with your family, to spend time with the Lord, to be grateful to be alive, to to reminisce about how amazing it is. Think about what would happen on this day. You would sit there, listen to this, you would sit there and you would eat manna that you collected the day before. And with every single bite, you would be amazed at the fact that it didn't rot and it doesn't stink this day because God has supernaturally preserved it so you can rest. Think about how radical that is. The only day it doesn't rot when you keep it over is the day God allows for it not to so you can rest. That's what God is setting up. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's so needed. When we see this whole situation, that is what God is establishing for us, his people. And we combat it. We kind of, we have two like kind of main things that we say, Sabbath, we say, no, I'm not gonna be under the law. Don't you put me under the law. And I say, listen, Christian, well done. Don't let anybody put you under the law. We're not under the law. But listen, this Sabbath rest isn't law either. This is Exodus chapter 16. This is not Exodus chapter 20. And this Sabbath rest is pre-law, which means as long as we are in these bodies of dust that are perishing daily, we need rest. God knows what we need. He created us. So don't think that keeping a Sabbath, taking a day of rest is, is something that you have to do if you're under the law. This is not law. This is just wisdom from the one who knows. But the other kind of thing that we push back on this is some of this, we kind of take this as a challenge. We're like, oh, you think I need rest? Oh, you don't know me. I don't need rest. I never tire. And I'm like, that. you know, you see the guy in the mirror or the woman in the mirror, you know you get tired. We kind of take this as, as a challenge. Like, I know what I can do. I'm gonna press on even further, but I'll try and step aside from that for a minute and just try to take a look at this. Hear this, please. Who's the one who rests first in this situation? Listen, who's the one who really rests It's actually God who rests. By not providing manna on the seventh day, it's actually God who's setting the example to say, I'm not going to work on the seventh day. And someone is saying, wait a minute, does that mean God is tired? Does that mean God needs rest? Not at all. He never sleeps. He never tires. He has unlimited power. But what is he doing? He's setting an example for us. If you're challenged by that, I want to say this, I'm challenged too. I'm, I call myself a why guy. I'm like, why should I do that? Why do you want me to do that? Why are you commanding me to do that? I'm like, whatever somebody comes at me and says, you need to do this, I'm like, why? And listen, this has always been the best answer that has just left me speechless because God did it first. God is a God that whatever he asks us to do, he's done it first. 
So in this example, think about what he's doing. I'm resting. And, and who are we called to be? What do we really, really want? Christians, what do we really, really want? We want to be like him. I want to be like my father in heaven. I want to be like Jesus. We have been predestined to be conformed into his image, which means if he rests, I rest, you rest. When he moves, we move. The imitation to, to follow after Jesus, that is birthed in our hearts when we become born again. Do you know this? We as human beings, we are image bearers of God. We are those, those beings within his creation that actually have the capacity to imitate him. Your dog, your, can't, your cat, your, your bird isn't like, you know what, it's almost, a, it's almost the seventh day, I need a Sabbath. They never think like that because they're not image bearers of God, but you and I are. And we want to imitate him. So this is an example that he is setting for us, saying, I know what is good. I know what you need. And I'm going to lead it. I'm going to do it first so you can follow me. Which means even when you don't feel like you need rest, God never needed rest and he still took one. Let us let that be enough to say, in faith, I'm going to obey you, trusting, knowing you know more than me. And what you know is best for me because you are a good father. You are a good father. That's what God is doing here. That's what he's setting up here. So one day out of seven, God set this day apart. He made it holy. He called the Sabbath. But again, this is all pre-law. So don't make this a law. Don't get caught up. In case you're wondering, Saturday is the seventh day. Saturday is the Sabbath. It will always be the Sabbath. And no, we're not trying to reinstitute Saturday worship. We worship as the new covenant church on the, on the first day, not the seventh day, the first day, because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. And that's the day we have the precedent in the New Testament when the early church met. That's the Lord's Day. I put several verses in your study guide for you to look at later. So I'm not saying, well, we need to, whatever, it has to be Saturday. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It doesn't have to be Sunday. I'm just trying to convince you it has to be one day. You need to find a day of rest for you. And I'll show you this. Look at what Paul says. This is the next reference verse. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. He says, so let no one judge you. How many people can judge you? No one. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. So Paul's saying, don't let anybody put you under the law about what day you're supposed to rest. He says, all of those things were just shadows pointing to the substance or the one who was casting the shadow, which was Jesus, which is Jesus. It was all pointing to him. And Jesus is going to take this and say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, which means I am the Lord of your rest. And we are free in Christ. We have freedom. So it's not about a day. It's not about any particular day. It's about taking some day. And we're going to see one more reference. Paul says this. This is Romans 14. Verse five and six, he says, one person esteems one day above another. Some people esteem Saturday. Some people esteem Sunday. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Paul says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. So whatever day you're going to set aside and take rest, do it as unto the Lord. Spend time with your family. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time recharging your batteries. Spend time doing what you don't do the other six days. Have a Sabbath rest. God knows you need it. And that's not just a a phrase, right? We say, oh, God knows you need it. No, for real, I promise you, God knows you need it. God knows I need it. We need this. We live in this independent Western society where we're so prideful. I don't ever need rest. Are you saying God is a liar? I don't want to be on that end of the equation, and I hope you don't either. God gave it to us because we know he knows we need it, but it was meant to be a gift, a blessing. Some of you are thinking, I I would love to do that. All right, I agree. Fine, I would love to do that, but how can I? I've got so much work to do. I want you to point out, or I want to point out, notice that they had to work twice as hard on Saturday in order to take that day of rest. They had to gather twice as much. You're thinking, oh, so now you're telling me I gotta work twice as hard one day? Well, there goes the whole idea of rest. I'm telling you, that's what had to happen. That's what the Bible says. 
but then God sustains it and be, is able to, to provide this. But here's, here's just another testimony I want you to think as you're thinking, that's so much work. This is an article that I found this week. It came from an in-flight magazine for United Airlines. And you're thinking, who reads, who reads in-flight magazines? Well, when we used to fly, you did, right? We did. We're like, what else are you going to do, right? You have, you have to have your devices all turned off. All right, let me just get to the article. It says this. This person says, what if I told you there was a way to stop the onslaught of everyday obligations, improve your social life, keep the house clean, Revive your tired marriage. Elevate your spiritual awareness. Improve your productivity at work. All overnight and without cost. You would probably say that claim is absurd. But I'm here to tell you I did. After trying to see some cosmic miracle cure, if it might really work, and after a year of earnest research, I discovered that an adherence to a Sabbath yields a precious gift of time. My personal life, my professional life, my spiritual life, my family life have all improved simply by taking one day of rest. I'm telling you, when God is in it, and he's in it, he takes it to multiply this time. He takes it to re-energize this time. He can take a task that should take eight hours. He can give you the efficiency to do it in four. He can, he can. He's the Lord God of the universe. And as we, in faith exercise that through obedience, we start to see that all these other things start to fall in line. Listen, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I am absolutely telling you what the Bible tells us to do as his people. Take a day of rest. Purpose in your heart to say, God's word is true. God knows. And I want to implement what God is showing me to do. We need rest. We are dust and God has provided for it. We just need to find a time to do it. Please, I'm asking you, give God a chance to be everything he claims to be. This is what he's teaching us here in this situation. Verse 32, finishing the chapter, it says, Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it, to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. Then I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up for the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Some of you are like, finally, I've been wondering this entire time, how much is an omer? I I just need to know, what's the quantity or the volume? And you see in verse 36, an omer is just one-tenth of an ephah, right? So just, that's what you need to know. That that settles it, right? Okay, maybe not. It's, It's a half a gallon. An omer is about a half a gallon. That's what they're collecting each day. But what they're going to do here is they're going to get a, a, an omer, a half a gallon of manna, and they're going to put it eventually in what is called the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But what this is going to be is as a testimony to all their generations that this is the bread which God provided from heaven to sustain you through these 40 years. But coming back here as we try to close this down, we, we want to we want to do two things. We want to when I look at the text that we just read and covered, and we want to answer some questions about who is God. We've been in the midst of this series saying, who is God? We're watching God walk his people through this time in between the parting of the Red Sea or, or the deliverance from Egypt until they get to Mount Sinai, and he's revealing who he is. He's showing them, before I tell you what to do, I'm showing you who I am. And so what has he done here? We've got a few more things. Number one, what we see here is God is a giver. God is a giver. I want you to know that about God. That is in his very nature to give gifts. And as we're thinking about this, and even fathers, some of us, we're receiving gifts. Our kids are wanting to give us gifts. And thank you, kids, thank you. That's a huge blessing, it is. But I want you to know that it's actually our Father in heaven who gives the best gifts. We've got a reference verse, James 1.17. Listen to this. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, 
and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of changing. Every good, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights because God is a giver. Think about the greatest gift that we could ever receive. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish but would have eternal life. He gave his son so he could give us eternal life when we put our faith in him. God is, he's a giver. That is something he's telling his people. Look, you needed food. I gave you food. You need rest. I'm giving you rest. Please know that about God. He gives good gifts. When he uses the example in Luke chapter 11, he says, he says who of you fathers says, hey, Lord, I'd like a bread. And he's like, boom, scorpion for you. It's like, what? No, we would never do that. And neither would God. He gives good gifts. He's a giver of good gifts. The second thing we learn through this time is God knows what we need and he knows how to fulfill it. I think that's really, really important when we kind of think about it. God knows what we need even before we need, and he is going to fulfill it. And this is kind of summed up in a New Testament verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, or all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That invitation is so powerful. When we talk about rest, when we talk about needing to be recharged, don't ever think for a second that a Sabbath rest or a day of rest involves distancing yourself from Jesus, right? He is the source of rest. He's the one who can fully give us rest. The invitation is come to me. And I love that he said, he doesn't say come to religion. He doesn't even say come to church and find rest, He says, come to me. We hope you come to church and you find Jesus in the text because he's the source of rest. He's what we really need. But Jesus is offering that invitation saying, what I want you to do is come to me. Maybe using this in another example, do you know that this is possible? It's possible to have a loaf of bread in your hand and still starve to death. You know, that's possible. It's possible to be inside a grocery store and starve to death. It's possible to have a book in your hands and you're reading all about bread, how to make bread, and you could starve to death. It's possible that you can go to a meeting every single Sunday with a bunch of people who are eating bread and you could starve to death. Because until you get that bread inside of you, it will do no value for you. Do you understand that? We can talk about rest. We can talk about Jesus. We can talk about forgiveness. We can talk about redemption, grace, all of those things. And you can come week in and week out and say, I love all those things. I love hearing all those things. If you don't ever come to Jesus yourself and invite him into your life and allow him to be your rest, you're gonna be from the outside looking in. But it's an invitation into his rest. It's an invitation into a place of of forgiveness and acceptance and hope and love and fellowship, et cetera, et cetera. But it's an invitation for you to grab a hold of this morning and say, Jesus, I want that. I want your rest. I want you to help prioritize my life. I've been way out of control with my priorities. What does Jesus say? Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. What's, what's the prerequisite? All we need is to admit we're weary and heavy laden. And then we're willing to come to him. And the verse continues, take my yoke upon you. Get in the yoke with Jesus. Let him set the pace. Let him set the direction. And he says, my burden is easy. Let me lead you. That's the invitation. So don't miss that. This is who God is. He knows what we need and he's willing to fulfill it and he fulfills it in Jesus. So connect the dots, make the Christ connection this morning and invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Do it this morning. Now one more point of application before we close out our study this morning. This was my my favorite one. I pushed it to the end because I wanted to leave you with this thought. When it comes to walking with Jesus, for all of us Christians, when it comes to walking with Jesus on the daily living a life of dependence, abiding in Christ as he promises to abide with us. I got three words for you. How do we do it? We beat the heat. Okay, we beat the heat. Look back up at verse 21. It says, so they gathered it every morning and every man according to his need. But when the sun became hot, it melted. 
I want you to think about this. There is manna, there is sustenance, there is very literally bread from heaven waiting outside their tent six days a week. As much as you need, you can't gather too much because there's not going to be any left over. You, you can't gather too little because there is no lack. It's just there for you. But you have to beat the heat, which means if you choose to sleep in, sun's going to melt and it's going to be gone. You have to choose. What am I willing to do? Am I going to get up and get out of my tent and go gather what I need for the day? Or am I going to let the flesh and this desire to stay in my bed on my comfy pillow last a little longer? We got to beat the heat, Christians, which means we got to wake up a little earlier and we got to spend time with the Lord in the morning. As literal as that manna is all around the tents, I'm telling you, Jesus is there waiting for you every single morning. His heart beats to connect with you. He's got a word for you. He has baked fresh bread for you every single morning and he set a table for you and he's sitting there saying, just come and dine with me. We see so many examples of Jesus is known to people through the breaking of bread. And here's what he wants. Come and feed upon my word. Come and sit with me. Come and meditate on my, come and pray. Come and talk with me. Come and listen for my still small voice. Do it in the morning. Beat the heat before it melts away. And I love that idea of melting away. What really melts away for us? The moment melts away. Jesus doesn't melt away. The bread of life doesn't melt away, but the moment to take the time melts away. Anybody who wakes up in the morning knows on the mornings you sleep in a little bit, now the kids are awake, now there's responsibilities to do, now I have texts or emails, and that little precious moment I could have had with Jesus, it just melted away. I didn't beat the heat. And then that day is full of a lot of other things that we would have reacted differently to, Maybe we'd have responded differently to, listen, may not have even happened if we just sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. I'm just telling you, beat the heat and spend time with Jesus. Make it your aim. We are to be daily dependent upon him. What we need most of all is we need Jesus. So spend some time, make that time happen. I encourage you in that. I want to wish you all a happy Father's Day that it pertains to. I want to just say I'm grateful for you, church. Keep pressing in. I just want to pray. We've got a couple more worship songs, and we'll close out our time together. But Father, we, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, I know there's a lot of things that get, that get said on a Sunday morning, and a lot of words get shared. But Father, what I want is in each and every person's heart, I want them to hear the word that you have for them. I want you to settle that upon their hearts and bring illumination to that thing that they would not forget it. What is the word that you want to speak to that, that woman or that man or that, that child? Father, that's what we need. We need your word. We need to hear from you. And we know that you want to speak, that you just spoke through your word. So bring that thing between our eyes, the, the forefront of our mind, and let us see it. And let's say, Father, in faith, I want to obey it. I'm going to exercise my faith through obedience this week in Jesus' name. Strengthen me in the supply of the Spirit of Jesus. Fill us with your Spirit. God, we want to follow after you. We want to imitate you. We want to be more like you. And I don't know that there's a prayer that is more consistent with your will. You want us to be like you. So, Father, melt away the outer man. Renew the inner man. That's truly our heart's desire to be more like you. So, Father, minister to us through these, these closing songs and minister this truth deep into our hearts. Send a taproot that spreads out through our hearts that bears fruit in Jesus' name. Amen.